And here we are again. Rogue Table Talks, number 103. It's that RTT. RTT 103. Uh, at the end of April, year of our love, 2021. Um, yes. Uh, and we are starting uh, a new topic here for a few weeks, talking about basically loving our neighbor, being a neighbor, uh, uh, about your not just abstract neighbor, but your actual neighbors, um, and uh, assuming people live in a place where there's neighbors, whether it's an apartment building or um, you know in a neighborhood, uh, people homes around them, um, what should how should we think about, interact with, um, what do we do with, if anything, uh, the neighbor, our neighbors, our actual physical <coughs> neighbors. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to, let's start with talking about what makes a good neighbor, what makes a bad neighbor in our culture. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the things... You know, we're uh, we sh- we're d- we're doing a couple a few spots here where just kind of these short little social media hits where it's kind of just a bad neighbor. Like, the, what what do bad neighbors do? Um, and you know, there are things like there's a shot of you know somebody walking up to the door with the mail and looking through the mail, and then somebody they open the door and they hand the neighbor their mail and goes, you know, that one looks like it's a little overdue or something. Um, yeah. You know, sort of the too nosy thing uh there's one where uh yeah the too nosy is also there's one where you know i'm a lawn chair in the driveway with like a you know a, a lens looking you know basically neighborhood watch uh, a little too aware of what's going on perhaps you know that seems like culturally a bad neighbor thing to do um there's one of of uh pushing the lawnmower out we actually shot it at night but it's supposed to be like you know five in the morning you know you know getting ready to you know like that's like who cuts their lawn that early well i think uh, there's, there's somebody there like a regulation on noise like well there should be when i was when <laughs> i was in missouri it was you couldn't do anything before seven um but but even then like on a saturday yeah or a Sunday, no, there's, it was, it's kind of courtesy yeah. <laughs> like yeah. before eight right. like and that's like that's the question what's too early like i typically wouldn't cut my lawn before nine on a right. saturday right uh now if it's gonna be like a really hot day and some and people get out and sneak out at 8 30 or whatever uh but there's yeah there's somebody in our there are people in our neighborhood and it's not somebody real close but there's people who like you hear lawnmowers at seven you know in the morning <laughs> on the dot you know right uh yeah the, do- the dog's barking that's a big one for me the dog's barking yes absolutely like the dog in the barking. morning late at night or just during the day if you're home and your dog's outside and it's like just constantly barking right if you right. can help it <laughs> right and then there's the uh the uh dog uh excrement uh <laughs> oh yeah situation oh yeah on your right yard where and nobody yeah can, they, they know like it just kind of looks one way or the other <laughs> you know it just sort one. of tiptoes away with a pile sitting there yeah uh you know uh yeah so there's 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 a lot of you, you know bad na- neighbor means i mean there's people who have bad neighbor stories for sure like actual bad neighbors you know we know somebody who's um they kind of had a 
bad, kind of a neighbor who was sort of a, I don't know, angry dude, dog barking all the time. Um, I think they planted hedges. If I'm, if I'm thinking of this right. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> planted to, to help block out the misery. <laughs> to help block out the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is when you're like, this neighbor's not leaving, so we're going to have to look for a different house. <laughs> something, yeah, something's wrong. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so do you have any bad neighbor stories? Uh, I, have a, I have a good neighbor story. Um, okay. You know, uh, well, fun, on, on the bad neighbor thing, I know it is less fun. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is going to step on anybody's toes, but I think the neighbor that, that basically doesn't exist, you never see them. Yeah, you, they drive right into the driveway, shut the garage yeah. door, and you're like, I don't even know if anybody lives there. Um, right. The invisible neighbor. I don't know if it's right. so far as a bad neighbor, but you don't know if they're a person. He's like, who are they? Well, I almost feel like there's it. Yeah, the cultural momentum is toward that guy being the good neighbor. Yeah. Like the neighbor you Just never see <laughs> is the right, right. This the cult in our culture, you know, the good neighbor is a neighbor who leaves you alone, who doesn't interact with you, doesn't expect anything from you, doesn't offer anything to you. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe a polite nod. Mm-hmm. And that's right. I mean, don't you think that's in our in our culture like that's sort of the yeah. the perfect neighbor is the guy we can friendly wave at, but we don't have any other interaction with. Right. I think that's true. The baseline is like, don't bother me. Don't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I want your house and lawn to look good, but not great. Don't make me look bad. Yeah. Don't make me. There's a, (laughs) there's a middle ground here where. (laughs) Man, being a neighbor is so complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot going on. You know, like, I, yeah, I don't want you to make me look bad, but I don't want, you know, I don't want it to be ugly either. I mean, it's right next door to me and so on and so on. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of etiquette to it. To it. I, um, so you, did you have neighborhood associations? You have it now? And are you in a place where, like, there's all that going on? Yeah, and, and it's funny because now with social media and Facebook and everybody's got doorbell cameras, yeah, they the there was a kid that we know it wasn't our kids, but we know this kid and we really like him. He's a good kid, and he, he ding dong ditched somebody in the neighborhood, and it was it was like ten o'clock on a Friday night. It wasn't you know crazy, but anyways, they captured it on their doorbell cam and they posted <laughs> it on the on the association Facebook and was and was like let's lighten this kid and it turned into this big old debate. And he scared he scared my children to death and all this other stuff. And then other moms are jumping in like. Your kids get scared by a doorbell? Like, come on, what's the deal? <laughs> so, I mean, it was this huge uh, kind of blow up. And I was like, okay, well. That's hilarious. Yeah. That, it would have been different when, when I, I used to do that. But <laughs> So is that that neighborhood website, the whatever it is? Oh, the neighborhood uh, watch it... thing? Oh, yeah. 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 So no, do this you was have... just like the eight. This was just the, the, the HOA, the Association oh. Facebook page. So all these... Uh, associations now neighborhoods have their own facebook page basically right and it's essentially turned in turned into uh parents policing other kids yeah i saw these kids walking around with this baseball bat does anybody know whose kids they are (laughs) it's like (laughs) what you can't so yeah 
<laughs> it's kind of like yeah everybody's a little bit bored you know policing everyone yeah and there's that neighborhood app mm-hmm. uh oh yeah where yeah. where like news of being that's broken up by subdivision news of different things that are happening in different subdivisions yep. stray cats kids right. with ba- bats, bats whatever <laughs> the bat kids wandering <laughs> But it's sort of, so, you know, there's sort of this sense of, uh, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm probably in a sense, a good neighbor in that I'm not always very involved with uh, the people around me, but there's, there is an interesting, there is an interesting sense of like neighborhood association, Facebook pages, or this neighborhood app, where we kind of like to go know what's going on at so-and-so's house across the way. Mm-hmm without really, you know, in a sense, doing anything for them or being involved or whatever. I do feel like that's a lot of what the neighborhood watch sort of, you know, the neighborhood app sort of things are. They're just sort of keeping tabs on uh, on people. But uh, so what, I mean, what should we do? Uh, you know, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 39, you know, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So these are, you know, the, the great commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. Uh, and th- being that as it may, we just sort of have this cultural momentum toward a good neighbor is a neighbor who leaves me alone. Uh, a good neighbor is a neighbor who asks nothing of me. Uh, a good neighbor is a neighbor I don't ask anything of in our culture often. Um, and that's often like how how I live. I mean, you know, friendly. Know a few people's names. That's about it. Um, there's one guy in our uh, in our subdivision who walks his dogs. And so he seems to know what's going on in the neighborhood because he people whatever tell him he's a retired guy um and you know what should our how should our christian faith my christian identity have to do with my actual neighbors is not something that i've actually spent a lot of time thinking about um and you know the the verse that i that i think applies well here is Jeremiah 29, 7, where uh, he's instructed, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So this is a verse from Jeremiah. And so it's God through to the prophet Jeremiah telling the people uh, in exile how they should live. Um, uh, so I guess expound a little bit about, you know, a little more of the context, what's going on and what Jeremiah is telling God's people in this, in this verse, Jeremiah 29, seven, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, to me, this is a, the context for Jeremiah is really fascinating. I, if I understand the history, right. Um, after King David, it's King David, Saul, David, um, Solomon, there's a united kingdom. There's no such thing as a divided kingdom. So every, every time I read the Old Testament, I would be confused. I was like, why is he talking about Israel? Why is he talking about Judah? I, I don't understand what's going on. And when I realized that what happened was because of Solomon's 
sin, basically, um, the kingdom split. And so the kingdom divided into northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And then because of each of the kings, essentially, uh, leading their people further and further down um, idolatry and spiritual um, uh, destruction, they... Uh, Assyrians came and overtook the northern kingdom of Israel in 722-ish BC, and then uh, the southern kingdom lasted for a little longer, which is where Jerusalem is in Judah. And but then, essentially, in 584 BC, Babylon uh, took uh, Judah and Jerusalem captive, and they took them into exile. That's where you get Daniel uh, and the prophet Jeremiah. So they're in Babylon, which is pagan, foreign, oppressive power. They just ransacked your home, took you, they can essentially do what they want. And Jeremiah writes a letter to them to encourage them, to comfort them. Uh, it's, there's a prophetic nature to it because God had promised that this captivity would only, this exile would only last for 70 years. And yet, for some people, that's their life. You get taken into captivity when you're 40, you're dying in Babylon. And your children may be born and die in Babylon. Um, so, that's the context. So you can imagine, maybe even how hard this might be to hear, but what God says is, the city he's talking about is, is Babylon. Seek the welfare of this city, mm -hmm. where you are, where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. He goes on to say, marry, have children, mm -hmm. plant gardens, plant vineyards. Like, t put your roots down in this place. It's almost an echo of the cultural mandate in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You know, express your dominion in this area and pray for its flourishing. Yeah, and so that he's saying... You know, it, it, we think of this world historical story of, of, you know, the Old Testament, as we think of it, as we study it from this far away. Uh, and we say, yeah, they went into exile for 70 years. And we can, you know, the emphasis, you know, we, we're looking at the end of the 70 years and the restoration and how the story advances from there. But if you're in exile and if you're put into exile as an adult, it's temporary for Israel, but it's permanent for you, probably. Mm -hmm. Uh and and so he's saying, don't just wait around for the for God's next move, basically, right? Don't just stick together and you know, uh, you know, cloister together and group together and remain apart from the world in which you're living. You know, live there really. Uh, and live in such a way that you are part of the flourishing of this place that I've sent you into exile, right? Well, uh, well and say, say something about this, if you will. I think you could almost maybe not construct a whole theology, but the way we view our neighbors and the city or the suburb or whatever we're living in and how we interact with them has to do with our view, uh, is, all, is related to our view of church and culture. Because uh, there's a real temptation probably for these guys to, to huddle around and not to integrate into the culture. But if God tells them, 
marry and have kids and build businesses, you're going to have to integrate with the pagans yeah. to, to build a business. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mary. Yeah. Uh, and that, so when we're thinking about us and how that translates to us, uh, that we're, we're like the idea that we were ever called to cloister together and remain apart from is really not in the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> you know, that we're ambassadors, that we're, we have the ministry of reconciliation, that we're called to be light and, you know, in a dark place and salt uh, to, to the world around us, all involves mixing with the world around us uh, in such a way in which our distinctiveness is seen and experienced firsthand. Uh, and I think we don't necessarily, th I mean, in our context, we think about getting our theology right, getting our beliefs right, uh, keeping our family, church, you know, kind of as much undamaged by the culture around us as we can, uh, and living that way, almost in a defensively. Uh, and there's really nothing in the Old or New Testament that directs us to do that, that we need to uh, be a part of the flourishing of this place that we're called to, even though it's not our permanent, you know, place. Uh, and it's not our, in sense of God's people, permanent place, but it might be my permanent abode mm -hmm. for my whole life. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, how does this translate into us being strangers and aliens? And how does this translate into us being strangers and aliens that we're ambassadors? You know, we, I think we hear strangers and aliens, pilgrims just passing through, and it sounds like we're just keeping to ourselves. Mm -hmm. But we're strangers and aliens in the sense that the ambassador from Sweden is, a, is an alien here in the U.S., mm -hmm. But he might live here his whole life and represent that kingdom in here. He's going to live here. He's going to have a home. He's going to live in a neighborhood. He's going to learn the language. And that's what our calling is, being part of the flourishing of this place, uh, because that's part of the kingdom that we're in. Uh, and it's, a just, it's not something that I think we think of. And then in our actual... So I think that's true. And we tend to abstract neighbor to mean other people, you know, in general. And, and so at the actual community that I'm living in, you know, the actual subdivision, the, the actual people around me, uh, that might be a part of that calling too, is something that I don't think we think about. As, I mean, I think all of our culture separates our, in a sense, professional public selves from our neighborhood self which is just keeping my long cut but not you know all of the stuff we talk you know being a good neighbor is sort of have a friendly separateness that reflects well on the neighborhood but doesn't ask anything and doesn't offer anything right yeah. and somehow yeah. we have to put all of those ingredients together in the pie and figure out how it how it goes together uh Right. I, I, I want, yeah, I want to say something too. Um, I think the notion, there is this notion in the scriptures. It's a, it's a picture of salvation, and it's, it's being clean, as opposed to unclean. 
And that's a right. picture that the writers, and that exists in the Old Testament, and the writers of the New Testament pick up on for what salvation is. It's sin makes us unclean and redemption cleanses us. That's not the only picture in the Bible. There's at least 20-something pictures of what salvation is really like. But I think that's in so much so in the waters of the church, and we haven't nuanced it very well. We haven't talked. We've probably over-communicated it, like don't be stained with the world. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't mean that, essentially, what does that mean? It doesn't mean I'm not in relationship with people who don't believe like me, think, talk, and act like me. It means that I'm not, you know, uh, as much as possible choosing to live a life of sin. It does nothing to do with the people I'm around. Like, oh, you, mm-hmm. you can't be around them because they'll be a bad influence on you. And Paul says right. in Corinthians, I, I don't want you to pull away from people who live like right. this. Right. Uh, I want you to stay right. in relationship with people like right. that. So I think it's a it's right. a bit of confusion. It's a bit it's so much in like the history of the church. Like, do not be stained and make yourself unclean with the world. Right, and I, I do think that's interesting. I mean, First Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians five, where he says, "Well, I told you to not associate with the sexually immoral of the world." Of course, I didn't mean he says people not in the church i didn't mean those people because then you'd have you'd have to withdraw from the world i met people in the church who are sexually immoral exactly right and and so you can see even there they mistook whatever they got it wrong and 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 i think there's a reason we want to get it wrong in a sense it's much simpler just to withdraw and right it's easier uh and i do think the clean unclean thing is part of that mindset where we have to keep our but the reality is we're made clean in christ mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that we can be remain you know that's the only thing that makes us clean and keeps us clean yes we should not live in a way that's you know stained with sin as much as we can but we're called to be around people that are, have not yet been made clean that's what a ministry of reconciliation is and so there's this balance of you know how do we be salt in a world that needs salt without entering the world. We have to. How do we be light in a dark place without entering the dark place? I mean, we have to enter in. Uh, and that means, to some degree, probably interacting with our actual neighbors and uh, our metaphorical neighbors in ways that might make us uncomfortable. Or to, some of us might be made more uncomfortable than uh, in others. Um, and so I think that is an interesting dynamic we need to think through Otherwise, it feels, I mean, let's say your neighbor invites you over to their, you know, a party. And I don't know, there's, you know, there's people there that, I mean, I don't know what's a good example of. Um, okay. I don't, maybe, maybe people won't get this. Let's say your neighbor, these are not my neighbors, by the way. Let's say your neighbor invites you over to a neighborhood party and you show up there and there's pineapples on the porch. Uh-huh. Do you know what pineapples on the I porch do. means? Yeah. Um, it means, now, I didn't know this until, and I don't know how long this has been true. Um, it means you're a swinger? Uh-huh. Which is a nebulous term to me, but uh, we'll let the good people Google it. I think it means you're available for various relationships uh, yes. more than uh, other people are. Um, and I think this sense of 
well, these people are living in a way that's wrong. If I go over to their house, somehow I'll be endorsing it. People will think the wrong thing about me. It will reflect poorly on me or reflect poorly on whatever Christianity or something. So I can't go to the party. Well, that's sort of a weird example, but uh, I just kind of, I just kind well, of it's not of too weird. Every time I see a pineapple now, I yeah. think about that. It's not too uh, weird because, you know, culturally we're moving more towards people are more, the church is more socially accepting parties with alcohol and things like that. So it's a level of, of maybe discomfort that we don't agree with this type of lifestyle. We think in the Bible that it prohibits this type of lifestyle. Um, so what do we do? How do we interact? It, you know, we don't have to go here, but it's almost similar to the baker in Colorado that, mm-hmm. you know, refused this getting sued again, I believe, refused to mm-hmm. serve cake for the gay couple's wedding and then the transgender person's birthday. And um, regardless of whether we think right or wrong, part of the question is, is like that helps us understand that is the question. How do we interact? Right. And, and would we, let's say the transgender birthday, we got invited, they're our neighbor and we got invited to their party. Yeah. What do, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I mean, to me, I just had this conversation again. I have it r- relatively regularly because it is a thing, you know, it is a thing where, oh, what, I mean, so and so in my family is gay and they're, they're going to get married. Mm-hmm. You know, should I go? Uh, you know, let's say, yeah, so let's say, yeah, transgender person in the neighborhood or whatever. Uh, and I do think that is a is a question that it's hard to give a stock answer to because every situation can be different uh you know i really don't know but here's what i typically would say let's you know if someone in my family who's gay is getting married i probably would go because i want to maintain a presence it doesn't mean i don't believe my presence endorses whatever's going on or reflects that I believe everything uh, about this. You know, if that's the case, we, it's hard to go anywhere and do anything as our culture is less Christian. It's hard to interact in a world. I mean, Jesus went to these parties where there's tax collectors and sinners. Does that mean and that's the Pharisees had an issue with that for this reason. Oh, mm-hmm. he's endorsing them. Yeah. Instead of being a light and just loving people, instead of loving my neighbor as myself, and my neighbor might be this person, what does it mean to love someone? Uh, and how do you love them if you're not a part of their life? And how do you be part of their life if you're not willing to go to a wedding? Uh, I think all of those things... Again, I can't give a stock answer to everyone, but I think those are difficult questions for us to wade through. And if I'm not going to go just because I'm afraid of what somebody else might say, Mm -hmm. that's a bad reason. It doesn't seem like a good reason to not go because, and I think you're right, every every situation is a case-by-case basis. And, And yet, I think there's also, when I look at the template of the ministry of Jesus, um, something about people who had lifestyles of sin 
were very attracted to him. And mm-hmm. he was willing to be in their parties, in their dinner parties, associated with them, not concerned about, do they think I'm endorsing this? Do, does anyone else? I, I personally don't quite understand that notion of being around somebody means I endorse everything they believe in uh, or do. I, I, I just, I can't get that. I can't get around that framework. Um, but I look at the ministry of Jesus and if you are, if, if we are the, the person who thinks that loving someone is standing at a distance and, and judging them or thinking they're wrong, no one is attracted to that person. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something going on with the ministry of Jesus that people were continually drawing near to him that felt completely rejected by the religious system of the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for example, Courtney had a friend back in Missouri. They lived in the neighborhood. She was Indian of a Hindu religion and her father died. Her father was Hindu. Her father died and she invited Courtney to the funeral. And it was a completely Hindu funeral. And the way they, they buried him, it was all very non-Christian. And so, but Courtney really cared about this person and thought to be invited to that, to share that grief with her was such an honor. So she went to it. Now, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think, well, Courtney endorses all of these things that happened. Um, right. I don't think anybody would, but we tend to, we tend to get really reactive around the whole same sex uh, attraction and activity thing. And I just, I don't see too much of a difference between these two. Um, yeah, no, right. I usually yeah, I totally real quick. I, I'll I, let totally you talk. I, I totally, I usually frame it something like this. I frame it in a different way. If this person, they know I'm a pastor, they know I'm a, a pretty conservative Christian. If this person has a desire for me to be in their life and to be a part of something that's really big for them, then what a huge honor and what a huge respect that I feel like, wow, if as long as they want me to be a part of their life and my presence in their life, I feel like it's my posture to as much as possible, keep that open and, and mm-hmm. keep going for whatever reason God might uh, use that. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's the, ch- I think the momentum often is just to avoid all of that uncomfortableness and say, I'm doing it to maintain some purity or something in my Christian walk. And I think that's kind of a lazy way out sometimes. Now, I mean, again, case by case basis, I I don't know, I can't answer for everyone. Uh, But I think there's a lot of these questions where am I willing to interact with people who are living pretty differently? And uh, if not, how how am I ambassador? How am I offering the ministry of reconciliation to people? And so on. And I would say, you know, as we actually talk about interacting with neighbors, how much, how much uh, do, do I want to change them to make me feel more comfortable around them as opposed to wanting to share the gospel of love with them? And how much does that reflect, like if they were just, if they just acted more like me, they'd be better people? I mean, that sounds horrible to say it like that, but that's kind of the assumption in a way. And instead of what they really need is the gospel. Well, you take, this is where it gets really messy, but it's also a really beautiful thing. You take someone who doesn't know Jesus at all, and maybe their thing is they just cuss like a sailor, Mm -hmm. and they become a Christian. 
and you invite them into Bible studies and you invite them into, and what do you do? Do you, do you say, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to make this work and fit in here, you got, you got to clean all that up. That's going to make everyone real uncomfortable. And automatically you're teaching them change your behavior and fix that because it makes me, makes me very uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And so I think even as we think about interacting with our neighbors, do we give off the message of I'm only comfortable around you if you sort of act like me? Absolutely. Uh, And that's, if that's the case, I just think we're going to have very little interaction with actual neighbors. (laughs) Our world will get smaller and smaller. (laughs) Worlds get smaller and smaller. Uh, So um, let's leave it there. Uh, And, you know, practically speaking, as we think about our actual neighbors, um, you know, let's start with thinking about myself and what kind of neighbor am I? And am I the person who loves the city to which I've been sent uh, and prays for its welfare and wants to shine a light of transformation uh, into places that need it? Um, is that the sort of view I have towards the people around me? Uh, and, you know, the answer for me is not always, but that's what Jesus modeled, uh, and that's what we're called to. Uh, and that's what he empowers us uh, to do. Uh, so in his power, uh, let's go do that. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.